welcome to this exploration of an exciting and potentially revolutionary new propulsion concept that may help accelerate our journey to the stars. Please join us as we discuss scientific concepts in this forum we call Jets in Space. Well, welcome back to Jets in Space. I'm very excited to have our guest today. His name is Luke Hibbler. Hopefully I pronounced that right, Luke. Um, he is a patent attorney at um, Dunlap Bennett and Ludwig on 211 Church Street, Southeast in Leesburg, Virginia, 20175. And their phone number is 855-818-3663. And honestly, in regards to Jets in Space and... Um, and Mr. Hibbler, um, I honestly don't think I would have proceeded with my idea if the patent really wasn't there. So we're talking today about patents. And, you know, Mr. Hibbler works for a patent. Um, a law firm who that handles patents. <laughs> law firm. There you go. <laughs> it's a patent law firm. And um, uh, and I, I actually found his um, his law firm through through LegalZoom, you know, and this was the the whole the impetus for the idea of internal atmospheric propulsion. I wasn't going to pursue it unless the, um, there there was a patentable idea. So um, I, it's, his, comp- his company, his firm, has greatly helped me in regards to fleshing out some of the details of IEP. And you know, I don't think I would be here in, in this position today without the help of of Dunwig, uh, or Dunlap Bennett and Logwood. So just want to welcome um, Luke to the show, and then we're just gonna have a general discussion about patents in general, and and hopefully it'll be educational for the audience. So if you want to just say hi, Luke, and introduce yourself, that'd be awesome. Hi, well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. My name's Luke Hibbler, as you said. I'm a patent attorney at Dunlap Bennett and Ludwig, and here at uh, DBL, for short, we handle a variety of legal cases, but my specialty is definitely in the patents and intellectual property area. And so I hope we can, if we stray too far, too much outside of that, maybe I won't be so useful. <laughs> All right. So, so I do remember um, the whole beginning, the 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 application for the patents. I know there's a, the two different types of patents, and we can maybe we should start there. So there's the the non-provisional patents and then the provisional or the uh, maybe I'm getting that backwards and the utility patents. If you if you want to just explain that to the audience really briefly, Luke, that'd be I think that'd be helpful. Yeah. So the non-provisional and the provisional both actually fall under the category of utility. Non-provisional and utility really get referred to as the same thing. They're interchangeable. Non-provisional is the technical term for it. And I, I like to refer to that non-provisional, that utility patent as the meat of the process. That, that is the, what the patent office is going to review. That's what they're going to analyze. That is going to turn into your patent. But the provisional is a non-necessary step you can take before that. And the provisional essentially just gets you a filing date. It's a lot cheaper because it's very informal and it really just, I like to think of it as a placeholder. If you need that filing date, if you're trying to establish your spot in line at the patent office, if you're not sure you want to spend all the money on the meat of the process, on that non-provisional, the provisional is a great route to take because it's relatively cheap way of getting your spot in line. And I know that I've, I've worked with with our company, um, on both of those, you know, we, we started out in the initially with the with the provisional. I, I I think I'm getting the term right, and then we're we're moving on to the 
the non-provisional at this point. So, but yeah, but yeah, no. So, um, I believe we're we're in that we're still in that phase, and and the time frame you said you mentioned it, it can take years for for a patent to to go through the whole process at the the United States Patent Office, correct? Right. So for that, again, that provisional application is really just a placeholder. So and that lasts for one year. The patent office isn't really going to review that. But that non-provisional, that utility application, that is what the patent office is going to review. And the patent office is notoriously slow. They typically (laughs) take about two years to even get back to you. I mean, they'll, they'll get back to you and say, oh, we received it. It's in it's in line here, but they won't review it for about two years. And even once they review it, you're it's there's bound to be some back and forth with some some arguments. And there's always at least one. And that's going to add a few months, six months, a year to the process. So it's normally about you're looking normally about three years at the minimum before you get a patent granted. And that's just an average, but it's pretty accurate in general. And I'm just going to just really briefly, and you can correct me, Luke, I'm just going to go over like what, why do we even need a patent in general? So, so my understanding, like you said, it's, you know, it's intellectual property. It's like an idea. Like, for example, our idea, like IAP, we want to, you know, file with the United States Patent Office that this is an idea that's unique to, to me and to my, my idea and, and our corporation per se. And that we, we want to make sure if anyone were to do similar work in the future, then we would have some type of some legal protection that that, that idea would be would be honored as um, as our original idea. And then we would we would have some type of a, an agreement with another entity that they would perhaps provide us some type of a, a royalty or a, a licensing type of an a, agreement so that we would get credit for for the idea. But that's pretty much my my um, understanding of the the basic purpose of the patent pretty much yeah and that's a pretty fair understanding of it what um what i think is super interesting and what a lot of people don't know is that patents are actually in the constitution and so when the founding fathers laid out the constitution they put patents in there they realized there would be a need for to protect your inventions they realized that if someone takes a lot of time and a lot of effort into inventing something and then everyone copies that person without that initial person getting the at least financial compensation they deserve, then the there wouldn't be a whole lot of motivation for people to further technology. And so because of that, the that's where the patents come in. And the patents essentially give you an a monopoly, a short-term monopoly and essentially on your invention. So if you go through the process of inventing something and then convincing the patent office that it is unique, it is not obvious, it's novel, and you're essentially you're the first person to come up with that and they grant that patent, you essentially have a 20-year window where you have the exclusive ability to not to make it, but to keep others from making it to keep others from making, using, selling, and importing your invention. Making, using, selling, and importing practically covers everything. So it's a pretty broad stronghold you get if you get the patent granted. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm still new to this, and I'm sure you've done lots of training in regards to patent law. So, I, And I'm, I'm a very kind of theoretical kind of guy, so <laughs> I'm going to give us a, like a theoretical kind of a situation and, and throw some like big names from like the media, you know, like... Um, 
you know, like, let's say like Elon Musk, like he comes up with a similar idea and he's like, oh, you know, like um, I'm going to make like a, an, an IAP engine and kind of use it. So if I had the patent that was approved by the patent office, I could send him like, I think the term is, is cease and desist. Is that what the term is to, he can't continue to pursue that technology without my permission? Is that the way that it works there, Luke? Yeah. So if you get the patent granted, you like I said, you have the exclusive ability to keep others from making, using, selling it, importing your invention. So if Elon Musk is doing any of those, making, using, selling, or importing, you can send him a cease and desist letter letting him know you have the patent. And then by law, if he doesn't stop, you have the ability to go after him. You know, I mean, you don't even have to send a cease and desist. You already have the ability to go after him in court and collect damages. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, well, Elon, if you're listening, I hope it doesn't get to that. Hopefully we'll just work together on it, but <laughs> an interesting kind of aside. Um, and then, and then the other issue is, you know, um, I know we've also, we've also talked about this in the past in our discussions is uh, the international implications and whatnot. So, cause I know the, the main uh, application is initially through the United States patent office, but that's, you know, one country out of, you know, hundreds in the, in the, in the world. And, I know there's a, another section of that that applies to international patent law. If you want to kind of get into that, I'd appreciate that, Luke. Yeah, international patent law can get a little messy because there is no <laughs> such thing as an international patent. Each country has their own laws, has their own patent laws. And so in each country you want to protect your invention in, you essentially have to file a separate patent in each country. And to my knowledge, no country, no patent has ever been filed in every country simply because the expenses would be ridiculous. We're talking about typically on the low end, six to $10,000 per patent per country. And if you just pick a hundred of those countries, that quickly gets up there. So normally the most countries have what is the first to file system where essentially if you're the first person to file in that country for an invention, you are going to have the rights to the patent on it, provided that you are actually the first to invent it. And a lot of countries even have the U.S., for example, has something called the one-year bar or the one-year grace period is also what it's referred to. Is that, And that means once you put an invention out there, you have one year to file in the U.S. for a patent on it. And kind of the theory behind that is – if you have an idea, you have an invention, you make it, you put it out there in the market, and then you don't do anything and it's, you never patent it and it starts selling and you become a hit. But then people start seeing your invention and say, oh, this guy never patented it. I'm going to copy it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to sell it too. And throughout the course of time, you see those people get pretty successful. And then you say, well, I actually invented that. Now I want to get the patent and stop them. That has been kind of universally held by every country to be unfair. You've gave people the impression you weren't going to patent it. So therefore, they, they came up with what is called the one-year grace period, which most countries have, which means once you put something out there, once you make it available to the public, you have one year to file something on it. And so typically, if you're looking to file internationally, the whole reason I bring that up is because if you're looking to file anywhere, especially internationally, once you've once you put it out there, you have one year to get everything together, file where you need to file and get the whole process going. That's great. 
and you know it, it's it's you know for practicality there it, there's no need to file like um, a patent for for our invention in in a country that doesn't have like an aerospace industry or things like that so i mean what's the point of filing mm -hmm. like a a patent application for us in um I'm just gonna. It's, uh, I'm not sure. What, some country, some small country in in Europe that doesn't really deal with aerospace, but but maybe it would be ideal to to file for for countries like um, Germany or or Great Britain where they have an aerospace industry, something like that. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's very it's very helpful. I think to to look at that. Um, and that's a. I was going to say that's a great point as well, and that's the analysis. <laughs> I was going to say that's the analysis you should be making when you're deciding which countries to file in is, is it going to be financially worth it? Because if you're going to spend $10,000 to get protection in this country, one, is it a country that people are even going to want to copy you? Then it's also you want to ask, is it a copy? Is it a country I can even monitor the market? If someone is copying me, will I even know? And also is the lastly, is it a country I can even enforce my rights? China is kind of notorious for being difficult to enforce any intellectual property rights because you might have some small pop-up factory stealing all your technology or yeah, essentially copying your technology, infringing your patent, mass producing it and selling it. By the time you try and figure out where it's being made from and you sue them, they shut down, they build somewhere else. And that's often a difficulty in with China, at least. <laughs> right. I wasn't thinking of filing in China, but you might have given me an idea there in regards to <laughs> even the utility. I, I don't even know if it's going to do any good to file in China based on what you told me. But but yeah, no, that's all good information. And, and like I said, it's um, it, it's it's all dependent upon, you know, what what we see at the market and whatnot. So but yeah, no, I, I appreciate all the information you've given us thus far. Um, just for for our listening audience, if if they had you know um, an idea of their own that they wanted to patent, what what do you what would you recommend as the the best way to go about that? Typically, I say let's let's get a provisional in. The provisional, especially if you're a solo inventor, if you're not part of a big company that has thousands and thousands of dollars to throw at every idea you have. Get the provisional application in. That can, that's relatively cheap. Can cost roughly about a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars. And once you get that in, you have that filing date. That provisional, if you remember, is essentially a placeholder that lasts for one year. That buys you one year to decide: Hey, is it going to be worth spending this next maybe five thousand dollars to file the non-provisional, the, the real meat of the process? And uh, that one year, you can look at the market, you can look at manufacturing costs, you can look at investor opportunities, and it's really a great opportunity to determine, is it going to be financially worth it? No, I, I thank you for your time, Luke. And, you know, this has been great. You know, you've, you've explained it again to me because I'm still trying to wrap my mind around all the, the kind of particulars in regards to patent law. And I know I'll never get to the place where you are, but, but it always helps to, to talk about you with it and you help, you help clear up the situation. Did you want to talk about the firm a little bit here or is, is there anything else that you guys are working on at, um, at Dunlap and Ludwig that you wanted to talk about briefly? Uh, we work on a lot of things, but I, I'm always afraid of saying a little too much because everything I cover with my clients is always protected by client attorney confidentiality. And I'd hate to say something where a client maybe didn't want to disclose exactly what we were working on. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, I'm going to, you know, when we, when we finish up the podcast here, we're going to, of course, we're going to post on, um, on our blog, um, all your contact information. So if anyone out there wants to, to work on a patent or you just get in more information about patent patent law, you know, I, I highly recommend checking out their website. We'll put that on our, on our blog, but thank you, Luke, for joining us today and explaining a lot about, uh, patents and patent law. And I'm, I'm hoping that, um, We'll continue to work together in regards to to our patent in in the future in regards to um, to IEP internal atmospheric propulsion. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate your time. Pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Jets in Space. There are numerous ways that you can help us out. Number one, you can subscribe to this podcast. Number two, you can check out our website, bellinaerospace.com. Number three, you can make a prototype IAP model at home. Number four, you can support us financially on Patreon at Patreon backslash Jets in Space. Number five, tell your friends about us and send them to this podcast and our website. Number six, if you have friends and or family who work in the aerospace industry, talk to them about this concept and ask them to check out our materials as well. Number seven, Help us find companies who make airtight containers, turbine engines, electric motors, and any manufacturers who may be able to help us move IAP forward. Number eight, I would love to interview aerospace engineers, aerospace enthusiasts, officials at NASA, SpaceX, anyone who can help us move our project forward. Number nine, if you know any investors, venture capitalists, sharks from the shark tank, please send them our way. We will be happy to let them invest in this project. And finally, number 10, as a Catholic Christian, I would also personally greatly appreciate your prayers for this endeavor. Until the next episode, let's dream of the stars.